Oh, we have Hello. everyone cloud here as well. Yes, dream yes. success. We made it. We did. We made it. Here we are. Um, welcome, everyone. Um, so this is the first talk in a series hosted by Eco Resolution um, and Napa Piri called The Future Is. Um, this series is all about igniting imagination about what the future can be and how we can build it together. Um, the future obviously looks different to all of us. So um, I'd love to know in three words, everyone who's watching what the future looks like to you or three emojis if you're feeling creative. Um, so we can see all the similarities and differences between what we want that to look like. Um, and this discussion is all about agency and individual action. So um, we're going to be talking about the fact that each of us is shaping what the future looks like day by day. Um, and that by playing your part, you can help to build a better future, um, whether that's by private actions like responsible consumption or public actions like putting pressure on industry. Um, your individual actions matter. Um, I'm Ellen Miles. I'm going to be chairing this. I'm the founder of the campaign Nature is a Human Right, uh, which is fighting to make access to verdant green environments um, and all the benefits they bring a right for all, not a privilege. Um, Nature is a Human Right is working towards change at every level, um, from discussions with the United Nations to campaigning for local policy change. And it even has a grassroots guerrilla gardening arm attached called Dream Green. Um, and I am joined for today's discussion by Claudia Yuso, Alice Edie, and Deandra Marisette. Um, these three incredible change makers are all taking action to build a future of healthy, happy, better connected, nature-centered communities. Um, so expect to hear some of their ups and downs and what they're doing, um, the power of vision and commitment, as well as self-care, um, and how creativity, energy, and hope um, that come with individual action can help drive the systemic changes that we need to see. That is quite enough from me. <laughs> Let's meet our power panel. Um, first up, we have the brilliant Deandra Marisette. Deandra, it's so great to have you with us. Um, Tell us all a bit about the work that you're doing and what role you think individual action has to play in systemic change. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Deandra Marisette, and I'm calling from Intersectional Environmentalist. Um, we are an educational platform, and we aim to center under-amplified voices in the environmental movement. And I think that that segues perfectly into your question of individual action. <laughs> I think we've done so much learning over the past year of what intersectionality can mean for the environmental movement and how it can really push it forward. And I think that when you understand the ripple effect of your own individual action, it's really about unpacking how that action, um, what it's informed by. I think that that is a question that we could constantly be asking ourselves is, what are the actions that I'm taking? What am I buying? What am I investing in? What am I investing in intellectually, physically? Um, and just what is that being informed by? And I think that in order to answer that question, you have to be listening. You have to be listening mm -hmm. to people who don't come from the backgrounds that you come from so that you can be a better advocate just by way of the way that you navigate your own life, your own individual action. And I think the beautiful outcome of that and the, a great way to ground yourself in that thinking every day is to just think about this past year and how deeply connected we've been recognizing everything is. And when you are able to see that so clearly, particularly in spaces that you're passionate about, maybe you're passionate about the ocean space or the fashion space, when you're able to see how deeply connected everything is, you can appreciate the ripple effect that you have and the role that your individual action every day plays. Mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the, that point about listening is so true. I think when we're focusing on action, it's so much about kind of what we're doing in the outward and, you know, it is as much about what we're taking in um, as well. Thank you for that. Um, Claudia Yuso, who is doing lots of wonderful things, is on the chat as well. Um, Claudia, could you please just give us a quick introduction to um, yourself and share your perspective on how individual action plays into wider change? Yes. Um, well, I am a content creator and a writer, and my work is focused around sustainability, social change, and that's what I've been doing for the past um, 10 years. And I think individual action is really, really, really important. And I just, I don't want to add on more things that what we re-add on things, but... Um, I think we sometimes forget how important it is and how much we can change the environment around ourselves with individual action and how much we can affect someone else's life in our own circle but just talking to them and listening to them mm. um, and demanding change as well from bigger corporations it, we've seen it throughout the past few years, how much the world has changed in, in regards to veganism, for example, and eating more plants and eating less meat. So um, there is change happening without the individual action. And I think your point about, you know, talking to those around you is so important as well, because often the people in our circle aren't necessarily on the same level as us. And by kind of getting them to just change one thing, we can have a, a big impact. They might go on and convince someone else as well. <laughs> Um, and last but definitely not least, we have the incredible Alice Edie. Um, Alice, um, tell us a bit about your wonderful creative work um, and how you think that individual um, decisions uh, can work to make a difference to the bigger picture. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Starting, I'm so happy to be here, guys. Nice to meet you. I haven't met anyone in this call. It's such a pleasure to be here. <laughs> and I have to say thank you so much to Natapiri, who um, I'm coming at you guys through. I'm so happy. So yeah, I guess a little intro about me. I uh, am passionate about storytelling. I'm a documentary filmmaker and uh, photographer. And I sort of came to be passionate about climate through a social justice lens. It was through my work documenting the refugee crisis that the penny really dropped for me that, uh, you know, climate change is this umbrella issue that is going to exacerbate every social justice issue that we cared about. For me, it was understanding that it will cause the biggest mass migration in history that made me think, whoa, climate change is not this uh, abstract thing happening just to nature in the way that so much of the storytelling has focused. Yes, it is a biodiversity crisis. Yes, it is a wildlife crisis, but it is also a crisis of social justice and human rights and intersectionality. And I want to shout out intersectional environmentalists because I think you guys have transformed the space and had such a big impact this year in terms of the wake-up call of getting people to understand the way that things are interconnected and intersectionality. So thank you so much. Um, when it comes to individual change, yeah, I think everything that's been said, we have so much power. One of the things that I really want to focus on in my storytelling is making people feel like they do have power because I think that sense of powerlessness is so paralyzing mm. and I think it has really paralyzed the climate movement there are so many reasons people feel like they can't make an impact the thing that we're talking about is so monumental it's so big it's so so all-encompassing and as I've said it's so interconnected um, but we can all make a difference yes as consumers 
Um, there are limits though, right? We can't just make an impact as individuals. As you said in the question, this needs to be about systemic change. Mm. Um, and this has to be about collective action. We absolutely cannot do it alone. And the exciting thing is we don't have to do it alone. This is a movement that started. It has been going for decades. We stand on the shoulder of giants. Uh, this is a movement that is growing and that is moving. It just sort of needs all of us to join it and we all have a role to play. Um, but we need system change, you know? Um, one way that it's so well described, you know, a tang I think people get overwhelmed by the idea of system change. For me, a really tangible way of thinking about it is um, something that uh, an amazing woman who I really admire, Fatima Ibrahim, said. Mm. So she explains it like this. It, sh it shouldn't be cheaper to fly to Spain than it is to take a train two hours north of London in the UK. That makes no sense. <laughs> and yes, it, I, as a with an immense amount of privilege, can maybe fork out, pay more to take the train, pay that extra amount to take the train where I am in the UK. But not everyone has the privilege to make that step as a consumer. We need systemic change, top-down change, as well as grassroots action. Um, so it is a balance of both. We can all make a difference. And I want to stress that so much. I think it will be said so many times over this call. Um, and we can't do it alone. We have to work together. Brilliant. Yeah, I think, I think that's so true. We can't just oversimplify this and put all of the onus on individuals. Um, there's so much more going on. Um, but there are many of us. <laughs> Um, we can vote with our wallets and we can do all kinds of um, things. And I love what you said about how this is such an intersectional issue as well and how it's integrating with things like the mental health crisis um, and racism and mm. everything is just so intertwined. And DeAndre, that's completely what you're working on um, with, with Intersectional Environmentalist, um, which is all about kind of appreciating this kaleidoscope of nuances and where different um, groups are coming to environmentalism from. Um, and within that, some people might be less able to kind of choose what their future looks like or to take certain actions due to personal circumstances, systemic constraints, inequalities. So how can we embrace our ability to act as individuals considering that we do have different privilege um, that impact our ability to kind of navigate those choices? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I appreciate you adding that nuance. I, I think that to go back to what I was mentioning about kind of your personal ripple effect and expanding on that just a little bit. Um, and Alice, you touched on this a little bit as well. So beautifully, that was a beautiful response, by the way. I was like, wow, I was just thinking about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think that to expand on this idea of your personal ripple effect and really constantly assessing what is informing the point of view that you're developing. First of all, if your point of view isn't changing all the time, you're probably not listening hard enough. But yeah. But constantly assessing what your point of view is being informed by. So I remember back in the day when I entered the fashion industry and I thought, oh, my goodness, the fashion industry is terrible with all of this fast fashion. And anyone that shops fast fashion is just not supporting a sustainable planet. But then you have to add the nuance that that overarching narrative that was being fed to me prevented me from seeing the nuance of my own community and black communities, indigenous communities, lower income communities that don't have access, don't always have access or the economic privilege of supporting the brands that we would like to support. These brands who are, oh, my back, brands that are properly paying their artisans to build sustainable brands. So that's a fashion example of how I was able to expand 
that nuance, right? Really assessing what was informing me so that I wasn't perpetuating an environmental narrative that didn't support people who did want to partake in these fashion conversations from where they were at. And I think mm. the, same, the same could be said for veganism. I used to have a very narrow perspective on how to approach veganism or plant-based diets and have grown to appreciate that there are indigenous communities that are working so harmoniously with the planet in ways that white colonial systems never have and are perhaps meat-eating communities, but are doing so in such a way that they have historically felt is harmonious with the planet and really expanding my perspective on within like that vegan conversation or plant-based conversation. So yeah, I think that it's for me the best way that you can have a good individual impact, like that base starting point, the thing that really has to inform everything you do is a constant ongoing assessment of what is informing your decisions and your actions and making sure that you're constantly expanding that. Yeah, completely. And I think that really ties back into what you were saying about, you know, listening, <laughs> listen before you act, base it on yeah. kind of what you're seeing and change your opinion. It's, we need to kind of normalize changing your opinion and that being a good yeah. thing. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, I hope that that's a big takeaway here is just normalize, you know, changing your opinion. Be like, hey, this, is, this was the narrative and it mm -hmm. made me believe this, but now I've learned this. That's a, a perfectly acceptable stance to take. Completely, thank you for that. Um, Alice, so do you think, I mean, you've kind of touched on this already, but like to what extent do you think we as citizens on the ground have the power to shape what the future looks like? Are we trapped in broken systems? Are we a victim of a wider, higher power? Um, or can we, to what extent can we like truly make an impact as individuals? Just a small, modest, modest question. <laughs> Take it away. Um, are we trapped? Are we trapped by in broken systems? Well, I mean, as has been mentioned, I think this year more than any has highlighted the extent to which we live in broken systems. Um, if we needed more evidence of that. Um, I think, yeah, there was evidence of how we fail the most marginalized, um, that the pandemic amongst uh, everything else has, is really a collision of crises and should really be a wake up call for all of us. But are we trapped? Um, no, we're not. We are absolutely not trapped in these broken systems. I think if we're trapped by anything, it's our own imaginations. Um, I think that we have a sort of fail, a, a collective failure of imagination, which means we don't right now feel a shared collective vision of, of the world that we're moving towards and that's why i'm so passionate about storytelling because i think through storytelling through creativity we can paint a picture of that world we need to envision it to know where we're going and i think we feel trapped uh, in part because of what i mentioned earlier we, we we can feel powerless but also because i think the way that this conversation has been framed has so often focused on sacrifice um it's also a massive, massive opportunity. It's an opportunity to build a better world, a greener one, a fairer one. It's a world in which we can innovate. Uh, we can integrate sustainability and regeneration into everything, whether it's fashion, uh, any element of our lives, we can build a better world. And the thing that I hold on to all the time is like, this is not it. This is not the best that humans can do. We can design better <laughs> systems. Mm. I have no doubt about that. Um, we just need to work together to achieve, achieve it. And for me, you know, I always say, people say to me, like, how can I get involved? What can I do? That I think work out what you can do and how you can contribute to the movement. Um, I, 
you know, I am biased in terms of creativity's role and storytelling's role. Um, but work out how you can contribute and, and join. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so true that we really need to be thinking about what we're fighting for as much as what we're fighting against and, you know, building from like love for nature 100%. and all these things um, rather than just from fear and anger. And I think the role of storytelling and of envisaging that positive future is so key and not just seeing these like dystopian visions and <laughs> imagining what like a positive future looks like. I think narratives um, are absolutely vital. And like, so Claudia, with, with that in mind, do you ever come across it? There's a seagull going overhead, sorry. <laughs> Claudia. There's some bird sounds, there's a seagull. Wherever you are, I wanna be. <laughs> I'm in coastal Essex. Oh. Claudia, with, with narratives in mind, do you come across any like recurring negative narratives um, or kind of criticisms that try and undermine your power as an individual to, to make a change? Yeah, I think like as Alice, I share a passion for storytelling and how powerful storytelling and how powerful stories can be. And I'm not talking about stories of someone who lives 2,000 miles away away across the ocean or one who's been featured in a documentary who has a really special story that can change someone's perspective on fishing in an island. I'm talking about your story, the story of your mom, the story of maybe your dad, your friend. And if you care about something, if you've done the work, if you've educated yourself, if uh, you learn and relearn and keep changing the way you think about an issue um chances are that more not you you won't only have facts and numbers and predictions about what's going to happen but you will also have emotions and mm. attached to that issue so if you're talking about ocean pollution or animal slaughter um fossil fuel extraction you you will attach some sort of emotion and experience to it and talking about picking up on what where I left it earlier we the people in our circle we know the people in our circles and we know the way they think and we know what they like and what they're interested in and we might be able to use those things to make someone who's set in the old ways listen and listen mm -hmm. to learn instead of just listen to, to to unpick what you're saying because it doesn't align with their and i think i think that telling facts just as they are dry out the ocean is one of the most damaged ecosystems by the human being or more than half of the plastic in the ocean produced in the last 60 years has been produced in the last decade like those things we are we we can desensitize from them so easily mm -hmm. uh we, we're so used to hearing all these things like flashed at us um but i think if we merge our experience of those issues how we've learned about them, what they inspire in us, with how we can, how we know these people, what we know about them, the people we want to listen to our story, to what we have to say about ocean pollution, etc. Mm -hmm. um, if we If we merge that and tell a story, I think we can engage them and we can mm -hmm. engage people around us 
to actually make change and maybe not make change but maybe start to listen which is something that in many cases we don't even want to we don't even want to see the problem we want to keep walking on our own path and ignore what's happening around us once you start listening it's like the the first piece in a domino track it's just it comes comes on its own um i think that's it and i think yeah sorry I was just, I, I agree. I think we're so emotion-led as human beings and like we are, yeah. we're not programmed to respond to numbers. You know, you talk about like 1.5 degrees Celsius and it's just, it, mm. for years it just wasn't registering with people. Um, and the UK's kind of war on plastic started after Blue Planet aired that mother whale whose who's child had died because we're programmed to react to emotions. And um, I guess Alice, that really ties into what you were saying about storytelling and creativity as well. But the, the kind of the downside of those emotions when we really buy into them is that um, you can get quite heavy if we're trying to do this as activists day in, day out. We're being fueled by this passion and fear and guilt and grief. Um, it, it can lead to burnout more so than when you're just working on something in a kind of clinical and dispassionate way. I've been there more than once myself. Um, so, Deandra, how do you kind of stay positive and motivated in the face of these kind of chaotic emotions? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think that positivity um, and rooting yourself in joy and rest, you have to accept that it is a part of the journey of sustainability. Like it is a part of your sustainable work to sustain yourself. And that's something that we really talk about a lot on the platform over at IE and something we talk about as a team and as a community all the time. Mm -hmm. Enjoying making tortillas in the kitchen with my mom mm -hmm. and the heritage and the culture in that and the love and the beauty that comes from that, that is a part of my sustainable work. Preserving mm -hmm. that joy and that memory and being there, being present with that is a part of what it is. Forget the, the word work just like the world that I want to build. It is a part of that. And so I think that just finding your intentionality in the moments of joy that you're able to have with your community, um, like Claudia was talking about, the people, just the people around you is so important. And so please don't, you know, don't conflate that with work, but rather just what you're trying to, to do and see reflected in the world that you want to build. So those moments are important. You have to claim them so that others can claim them as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Claudia, how do you feel? What's your kind of, do you have any techniques or things that you go to for that kind of boost when you need it? Yeah, I've been going through that myself right now. I've been mm. feeling quite overwhelmed by everything in the world and not being able to find the sustainability work that I wanted to do for quite a long time now because I just couldn't face it. And thing, the one thing that has made the most difference is nature going back to nature disconnecting from technology and not even not even doing it radically like oh my i'm not even gonna bring my phone my phone is gonna be turned off when no it's just balancing out this new life that we've created and built with technology and being connected with also just experiencing the green touching the soil smelling hearing the birds that has made such a difference. The rest you get in nature, nothing compared to the rest you get in the Completely, yeah. I, uh, <clears throat> I think for a lot of us, lockdown um, was an opportunity to kind of reconnect to nature. 
obviously that wasn't available to everyone. Nature, as it currently stands, is a privilege, um, which is what Nature is a Human Right, my campaign, uh, is all about. Um, Alice, do you personally, um, you know, how do you stay motivated and creatively inspired as well? There's like a whole other angle to it. What do you, um, do you have any tips or kind of go-to routines? <laughs> I don't know if I have the, the silver bullet on this one. I think um, as the girls have, have touched upon, it's a sort of ongoing journey with different phases. Um, I have definitely had periods of feeling really overwhelmed with what I was learning, um, feeling really hopeless and in despair. Uh, powerless is the word that I've said a million times already in the, on this call. Um, but ultimately, I think, as has been said, we have to sort of embody the values that we want to see in the world. So joy, rest um, and hope. I have to be driven by hope. And for me, I, I think some people, you know, and I completely understand this. How can you feel ho hopeful uh, when the world is in the state that it currently is? Mm. Um, I think that we, you know, both the light and the dark can coexist and they sort of have to. There's the recognition of how serious the situation we are in is. Mm. Um, there's the weight of the responsibility um, of, you know, how to use your privilege and using it well and using it responsibly. That's something we should all be thinking about all the time. But we have to hold on to that hope and be driven by hope um, <laughs> and optimism. And I find hope in, in taking action. Uh, it's not, you know, naive hope, uh, a, a distorted vision of, of what the world is. It's being driven. Yeah, it, it's both coexisting and it's being driven by hope. I think that's so incredibly uh, important. And it comes back to what I've been saying, that you have to sort of find your role and find how you can contribute because once you find that I think that is empowering mm -hmm. and join a group of people there's nothing more empowering um, and hopeful than finding people who are equally passionate than you yeah. uh, we can't do it you can't do it on your own and I think so so many people do feel alone yeah totally yeah you don't have to do it on your own and also you don't have to be on every day you know if, you, if you're part of one of these communities you can take time um, but yeah, I completely agree that it's all about kind of hope and looking towards like a, a better future and having that vision is really motivating rather than just running from the worst case scenario, um, having that, you know, ideal of what we hope the future will look like. Um, so I'd love to ask you all, um, to round off the future is what, um, what your vision of the future is. Um, and you know what, we'll go, let's go in alphabetical order. That's cool. We'll hit a learn. Um, <laughs> back to you, Alice. The future for you what is it ideally that has happened to me for as long as time by the way because my first name is alice and my surname also starts with an a so i'm either, sorry either way you play it i was always up first so many anxious presentations um <laughs> what does the future look like another very modest and small question um <laughs> The future, I think as we've kind of touched on, we have to keep our eye on the future and we have to keep an eye on the world that we want to move towards. Uh, for me, it's, you know, really moving, listening to Claudia talk about the power of nature. I think one thing that I think needs to drastically change is our broken relationship to nature. Um, it is this sort of sickness that, that is at the root of so much. You've mentioned mental health. Um, of course, climate change, sustainability, we see ourselves as separate from nature. We see ourselves as masters of it. 
Um, and this is something that drastically has to change. I really don't think we have any choice. And there are so many people that we can learn from on this, indigenous communities, those who have lived in symbiosis. And I know this is something you're really passionate about, Ellen, and I'd love to hear more about your work. So I think we should turn this question back to you, by the way. Um, but yeah, I would love to see, for me, that's something that we really need to focus on. And I'd love to see a future in which we fix that relationship. And, you know, in many ways, it's happening. The, the, the future that we want to see is in motion. Um, the movement has, even in the past year, has drastically changed. Um, and it's really exciting. Um, so much is changing. Brands, the climate movement itself, mm. uh, the, un the, the, as we've said, the increased understanding of how things are in interconnected and intersectionality. So many people are joining the movement. Um, you know, I think we've got past this, uh, I hope. Maybe it's just within our echo chamber that we all share. But the, you know, this argument about hypocrisy that I think is leveled consistently, yeah. you know, uh, you don't do this well enough. So we've excluded so many people from this movement. We've excluded so many people by saying uh, you're not a good enough environmentalist. We've excluded those who should be at the forefront and center of this conversation who are, have lived experience and are experiencing this every single day. Mm. Um, so moving to the future, I think there's... Yeah, nature and keeping up this momentum in a movement that I think is getting more and more exciting. Ramble, yeah. sorry. No, it's on... great. I, I definitely agree more about the stuff about <laughs> fixing our relationship with nature and seeing ourselves as kind of part of nature, I think. We live in a society now where the phrase, we are nature, is seen as like inspirational, kind of like hippie guff rather than an actual fact, which is what it is. You know, like the salt in your sweat, the iron 100%. in your blood, it's from the earth. Trust. our dna is shared with every living being we all came from one single organism billions of years ago you know it's all we are nature it's a fact <laughs> and so i'd love to see that as well um next alphabetically we have claudia um 100 with everything that i said i think uh to make it brief i think we i i would love for us to listen more to listen to people who do not look like us to people who mm. Not live where we live to people uh, from paths of life completely to us and learn from from them because we can't just keep the way we've been moving forward if we move the forward the way we've been doing it up to now we will, we know it, it's not gonna last very long and I would also love to see more green in cities I would like to see nature intertwined with buildings and architecture and roads and I would like to see a way in which we can make those things more to coexist coexist um that would be my ideal future I agree I think my my future vision is where cities are more green than gray mm. um Deandra, Love that. last but not least um what's your kind of future vision yeah absolutely i i think that you know we say a lot at ie that the future is intersectional and i think mm -hmm. that there are so many ways to interpret that and for me i think that whenever i see someone comment or email us or send us a beautiful note of how we've empowered them i think that 
ultimately where that takes me into the future that I hope we're all, we're all actively contributing to all the time mm -hmm. is a future in which being melanated, being brown, being LGBTQ plus community member, being indigenous is something that is sacred and something that can be celebrated and joyful. And I want that for the youth, for future generations to, I want that to be a default. I want the default to not be how to unlearn and reappreciate who you are and where you come from because of the wider narrative. I want for the next generation's youth, for their default to be, I am to be celebrated and love who I am because of the narrative that is being perpetuated around. We can't control what everyone says, but I think that we can control the people around us and building those momentums, building those ripple effects that can show people that there are communities where they can be loved and celebrated and honored is so important. And I think that we all have the power to be able to contribute to that every day. Brilliant, I think we do through all of these things, through listening, through envisaging a joint future, through embodying emotions and stories and connecting to each other on that kind of human level. Um, thank you all so much um, to everyone who's joined us, to our wonderful panelists, of course, and to everyone that's um, tuned in. I hope you've uh, enjoyed this as much as I have. Um, you can keep up with all the great work that these guys are doing um, if you follow the apps which are tagged in the pinned comment and just so you know this is just the first um, talk in a series that Eco Resolution and Napapiri are hosting um, the next one's about zero waste they're all about envisaging the future um, and the next one's happening on Tuesday the 15th of June so do tune into that thank you again to everyone nice to chat to you guys and um, see you all thank you thank you